you know, people come to us all the time asking about what is the fountain of youth? So I love to talk about what's the difference between a grape and a raisin. And the difference is water. The grape is filled with water and hydration and the raisin isn't. And so our Saqqara Beauty Water Drops are ionic trace minerals that help your body absorb water better than just pure water alone. So these water drops contain all the major electrolytes plus trace minerals to keep your cells hydrated on a better level. I love to put our beauty water drops in every glass of water that I drink. I can really tell the difference when I'm properly hydrated and when I'm not. I really see it in my skin. They say that focus and attention is really connected to hydration. Your brain is made up of so much water that even a small change in hydration levels can change your brain composition. So there's a reason like our parents were always like, you're not feeling well, drink some water. Not just for your skin, but for your brain, for your energy, for your joints, your muscles, your tissues, and other places within your body that we want nice and moist as well. I knew you'd go there with had to. For all my perimenopausal women out there. For sure. Go get your drops. You can find more details on Sakara.com and enjoy 20% off your first two-pack of our beauty water drops with code POD. That's Sakara.com, S-A-K-A-R-A.com, promo code POD, P-O-D, at checkout. When we started Sakara more than 10 years ago, we began a lifelong process of unlearning societal myths surrounding women's nutrition and wellness. Today, we're excited to welcome back our friend who challenges status quo for women's gynecological and hormonal health, Elisa Vitti. If you haven't listened to her first appearance on our podcast, go find episode 17 from 2020 in your feed. It's an incredible episode and one of our most popular. Elisa is a public health educator, best-selling author, and femtech founder of Flow Living and a top-ranked MyFlow app, both designed to help women understand and manage their hormones naturally from their first period to their last and beyond. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Elisa on why she looks to menstrual cycles as our fifth vital sign, why she'll never give up on her mission to help all those who have periods see it as a gift, and her answers to some of our listeners' most asked questions about perimenopause, hormonal birth control, and so much more. Please welcome Elisa Vitti. Welcome back to the Sakara Life podcast. We're so excited to have you back. Your episode, which for any listeners who haven't listened to it yet, that's episode number 17. It's one of our most popular and most listened to episodes. I think our audience is very interested in hormones and you have kind of been dubbed the hormone queen out in the world. So we're excited to have you back on. We're going to ask you some questions like we normally do. And then we actually asked our audience via social media what questions they had for you, what they wanted to know about hormones. And so we'll get into those. I love it. But before we do, we start every episode with the same question, which is what is your mission here on earth? Yeah, and maybe if it's changed, you know, it's been two and a half years since your first podcast with us. So, you know, has anything changed for you around your mission, around your work? How has it evolved? Well, I have no recollection of what I said answering the question <laughs> last time. So what I can say that's true is I'm 
on a mission to build a platform that allows women to understand and fix their hormones from their first period to their last. And very proud to have just celebrated our 10-year anniversary at Flow Living. You know, we've helped already 500,000 women help their, you know, deal with their hormone issues. So we're making a good dent in achieving this goal of really making mainstream what what I think should just be normalized, which is a more broad look at what first-line gynecological care should be, which, you know, is way, way beyond just prescribing birth control to kind of fix everything. So, and I think to bring some levity and gender equality to the conversation as well. (laughs) One of my favorite things about your work, other than what you just said, is that you do bring the feminine lens to what is very typically a male lens on health. So from biohacking to hormonal health to fitness, et cetera, like I think you bring a really important female POV and recognize the difference in us from a biological perspective and how we can use that in our favor, really. I mean, if you have a cycle, it's such a gift. And we're given a narrative from the beginning that it's not, and it really shortchanges you for in every possible direction when you don't realize what it is that you're sitting on, so to speak. And once you do understand kind of the mechanics of these hormonal phases and the hormonal shifts that you'll go through across your lifespan, it's just such an advantage. It's just something that you can leverage to look and feel your best, to remain symptom-free. Longevity has to also have a gender-specific conversation as well. And I think that understanding how your hormones really dictate that conversation is essential for you to be well all your life. So I am probably the person who loves your period the most on this planet. (laughs) I probably won't stop trying to get you to love it even half as much as I do because I really do understand what changes for each woman once she starts to really embrace and even have just a working knowledge of her hormones. I think you were the first person that I heard say that your period is your, what is it, sixth vital sign? Fifth. Fifth vital sign and that there's so much information that we can learn from it and that, you know, we need to get to know our bodies on a deeper level through our cycles. I remember you talking about even looking at what color is the blood and what is that saying about your overall health, that it can be this window into our health and our vitality if we look a little bit closer. It's so important. I want to say two things there. One, that the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists decreed that your cycle must be considered a fifth vital sign. This is back in 2015, 2016. So this is not just my opinion. This is from the sort of medical levels down. We should be thinking about our overall cycle health as importantly as we consider our temperature, our blood pressure, and other things. But the difference for women with this vital sign is that we lack a tool that's as convenient as a blood pressure cuff or a thermometer to take the pulse of statusing how is our cycle doing. And it leaves us really with a huge blind spot for a biomarker that is critical for your overall well-being. So that's the sort of first problem. That being said, we live in this wonderful moment of femtech things that are happening and wearable devices. And though there still is not 
a precise tool for women to use. There are tools that we can use to help us get around having a complete blind spot. We can have some visibility into, for example, basal body temperature tracking and have that populate into an app on your phone. You can use your analysis strips to see where you are in your ovulation journey, even if you're not trying to conceive. There are things you can do that free you up from having to convince a doctor to write a script for you to get blood work, which has its own limitations. And then the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is important to note, is that biohacking has this very specific flavor that I think doesn't really include women in the conversation in a way that I would like to see happening. There's still this sort of gender bias. And when we think about wellness and and all the trends skew really toward what's happening with studies, which is leaving women in the reproductive years out. And so it's frustrating because there you are reading magazines, reading articles, reading up on what you should be doing. And they're presenting you with the latest research that has left you out of that research. But without fully disclosing that, you think it might apply to you. You're trying things, changing diets, doing fasting, doing this and that, trying all these things, and they can actually disrupt this really powerful and delicate system that you have. So it's not easy for ovaries out in the world, all that being said, between the (laughs) lack of the tool, these sort of gender bias conversations, oh, and the fact that we're swimming in this massively endocrine disruptive environment with chemicals everywhere. It is much more challenging for women to have healthy, balanced hormones and to age hormonally much more slowly than what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot more rapid hormonal aging, women going into perimenopause earlier, starting menopause earlier. So all of this has a cumulative effect. Ignoring your cyclical hormones or not knowing how to take care of them, being exposed to all these endocrine disruptors, trying things in the biohacking world that are not tailored to your female biology, it ages you and has all sorts of other side effects that are unwanted as well. And you just tapped into a few of the questions that we're going to be asking about. We're going to get into biohacking. We're going to get into perimenopause and if there are ways that we can slow down this process and cycle. Before we do, can you give us a quick lay of the land around why it's important for us to understand hormones? Like, what are hormones? What do they do for us? And I think that when you're talking about mapping your cycle— women are like, well, why do I need to do that if I'm not trying to get pregnant? Why do I need to know about my hormones and what my period's doing? So let's start with the first part of your question, which is what are hormones and what do they do? Hormones are the chemical conversation that is being had in between these target glands within the endocrine system. So, you know, the pituitary gland, the thyroid gland, the adrenal glands, the ovaries. And They use this chemical conversation to keep and maintain homeostasis in the body. So for example, let's look at insulin, which is a hormone, very important hormone. As your body's blood glucose levels are shifting based on what you're eating, insulin is secreted in various amounts to help either bring that down, push glucose into the cell, And the idea is to keep your blood sugar as stable as possible to protect the brain because we don't want too much glucose. So that's a great example of how hormones are reacting to what it is that you're doing dietarily and lifestyle-wise to help the body maintain this sort of internal homeostasis. 
And this happens with the thyroid. This happens with the adrenal glands. All of us experience far too much chronic stress. And so there's this challenging situation, I think, more so for women where we're producing a lot of cortisol and it has some negative impact on our cycle hormones, specifically progesterone. At the highest level, I like to say, if you're producing too much stress hormone, you're not going to be able to produce enough sex hormone, right? Mm. When you have the proper balance, for example, of estrogen to progesterone, it affects your immune response. There is new research that shows a correlation between women with estrogen dominance with PCOS and having a heightened histamine response. And that can also vary at different times in the cycle for women. Women who are going through perimenopause might notice that they have sort of new skin issues, eczema, rosacea, as estrogen levels drop and decline or rise suddenly and fall quickly. So there's also this impact of estrogen as well that really affects us much more than just with our cycle, let's say. It affects our immune response, it affects our brain chemistry. And I think that's the thing that was really exciting about writing the second book was just to sort of point out to women that, hey, hormones have a lot more to do than just when you're bleeding and when you have PMS and when you're ovulating. It really does impact regions of the brain across the month, your immune system, your stress response system. It affects your gut microbiome. There's so much that hormones are doing for you. And certainly, they're keeping you young and energized as well. So hormones are really important, beautiful, wonderful thing, but we vilify them. A lot of women come to appreciate their hormones in two moments. I would say they come to appreciate their hormones the first time when they go through their fertility journey, right? Understanding how difficult it is to conceive, how precious ovulation is, how miraculous their body is. They have that sort of awakening at that moment. But then the second moment of appreciation in a different way, in almost a bittersweet way, is the transition through perimenopause because then your hormones are down-regulating and you have less of these more youthful levels of estrogen, for example, and you see it in your skin, you see it in your sexual response, you see it in what's happening with your cycle. And it can feel a little strange to go through that emotionally when you haven't had a chance to really fully live and appreciate the cycle when you had it. So hormones do a lot for us. We need to love up on them a lot more. And then you had a second question about how are they working in a cyclical fashion? And that just has to do with the fact that you have these four phases of the cycle. They each have a distinct hormone ratio that affects you in different ways. Structurally, right, it's causing the egg to grow on the ovary and be released. It's causing in the luteal phase for your body to be able to 3D print an entire organ, the endometrium, every month fresh for you, just in case you want to have a baby. So friendly. <laughs> and then, you know, causing the lining of the uterus to shed during menstruation. That's what's happening, let's say, in the uterus and ovaries. But then when you apply these hormonal ratios in the brain or in the metabolism, we also see that there are specific effects that are taking place. And it's really important to understand and appreciate that you are not the same person metabolically every day. And making your diet, your fitness, and your lifestyle adjust in real time 
to what is happening in your cycle is really, really important. And this sort of came out of my research for the second book around the infradian rhythm. And I ended up creating a method called the cycle syncing method to help women do just this, right? To align their food, fitness, and lifestyle with their cycle phases so that they can actually take care of these hormones in a more profound way. And infradian rhythm, I know you go into that in our first episode, episode 17, but a quick overview for those who haven't heard that term before. It's a biological clock that is as important as the circadian clock, but is only active for women in their reproductive years. So from your first bleed to your last, it keeps the drumbeat of your cycle, much like the circadian rhythm keeps the drumbeat of your wake-sleep cycle. But like the circadian rhythm does so much more than just help you wake up and go to sleep. It regulates different timing of the functions of different aspects of the body, like when you have a bowel movement. Can you imagine? My favorite example is, thank goodness your circadian clock suppresses bowel function after like 10 p.m., right? Because here you are trying to get (laughs) into your REM sleep. Like it would not be um, efficient or optimal for you to be awoken at 2.16 a.m., because you have to have a bowel movement, right? You need your REM sleep. So just organizing all the timings of things is what the circadian rhythm does. It's super, super important. And we know from study after study, protecting and supporting your circadian clock with your lifestyle is essential, right? So everybody should be getting 15 minutes of light, sunlight in the morning, first early morning light if possible. And you should be protecting your eyes from blue light all day long, as well as especially at night. And the infradian rhythm is equally more nuanced than just when you ovulate and when you menstruate, right? It has to do with metabolic shifts in the body, resting cortisol levels, different functions of brain regions and when they're most active, immune response. So all of this is to just orchestrate a very efficient internal ecosystem for a woman to be able to extract maximum nutrition, and use fuel optimally because you have to produce this egg every month, 3D print this organ every month, and you know, then potentially 3D print an entire human being. And so it is really about making you extremely efficient. But when you work against this pattern, things go sideways real fast, not good for you. We have been working against this infradian clock forever, mm-hmm. and women don't feel good, right? And this is what sort of sparked my whole desire to write the book in the flow was that I thought, how is it that 80% of women are going to suffer from a hormonal imbalance at some point in her lifetime? We are clearly missing something fundamental. And what we were missing was this infradian clock management. And that's why the cycle syncing method, I think, has really taken off over the past couple of years the way that it has. What's amazing to me is you're talking about the importance of hormones, but then you go to your doctor and they're not really checking them. And even when they are, there's so many different ways to check your hormones. And there's lots of opinions on whether this test is right or that test is right. I guess the question is, why is it so hard to really understand your hormonal health and like the state of it? And do you have recommendations on how people should check in on it? I think that is such a common frustration, and I'm so glad that you surfaced it. It's a complicated answer. On the one hand, I think at the highest level, the reason why it's so hard for the average person to understand hormones is because we lack the proper funding and research for people, let's say, at the institutional and medical level to really be understanding hormones deeply. I mean, I was actually on the phone with a physician in New York yesterday who had put 
something about my book on her website. And so she then reached out to have a phone call. And she was telling me that until she read the books, she did not have enough of an understanding of how to work with her own hormones. And she had been suffering with Hashimoto's and with all of these other issues. And she's already been through med school, right? So I think there's this blind spot that we have due to gender bias that is longstanding in research that leaves everyone a little bit confused when it comes to hormones. So you shouldn't feel bad that you as an individual also suffer from this problem because it's kind of up and down the flagpole. Secondarily, the testing piece is super frustrating because if you go for blood work, oftentimes if you do that randomly throughout your cycle, it will give you various readings depending on what you're looking for. It really just depends on what are you trying to understand? What are you trying to achieve? Are you looking from a fertility point of view? Are you trying to figure out if you have a luteal phase defect? It's really about looking at what you're trying to discover about your hormonal patterns. And then the blood draw itself is a single moment in time. And that's also not ideal because our cycle is, you know, 28 to 30 days long with known variations in hormone levels. And so oftentimes when you go for this blood draw, you come back with a number for that moment in time when you had the blood taken out, but it's within normal range typically. And that's what's so frustrating for women it's because, well, it's within normal range, but I'm having all of these symptoms. And here's the interesting thing. When women go in to be treated for perimenopause and postmenopausal symptoms, even this population will go and get blood taken and come back oftentimes within normal range. And doctors know that this is a problem. And they will, instead of just limiting prescribing hormone replacement therapy based on the blood work, they will prescribe it based on the observational self-reported symptoms from the patient because that's a better gauge for them than the blood work. So it's frustrating for everybody. Like I said at the beginning, we lack a precise enough tool to really understand what's going on. I do think the Dutch test is a really great tool because beyond just understanding levels of hormones, you're also looking at elimination pathways, which when it comes to estrogen and histories of cancer in the family, really understanding how you're metabolizing estrogen and what your SNPs are with methylation, with the MTHFR, for example, with COMT, it's really, really important to know those things. And so that's good too. But it would be great if there was something easier and something that somebody could do every day at home at will to really just understand like, okay, what's up with my estrogen and progesterone right now? Outside of that, and this is why I made television history years ago going on with some fruit juices to try to explain this to people is you do have a free monthly hormone panel that shows up for you during the bleed, right? And looking at the color of your bleed is a free biomarker that you can use Again, it's not a daily blood draw. It's not a daily hormonal profile. But if you have the right color, if you will, of bleed during menstruation, then chances are excellent that hormones are performing the way they should. What color is it supposed to be? Like a fresh cranberry kind of red, you know, no clots, not too dark, not pale pink, not brown staining, you know, before and after, just kind of starts fully and ends quickly, you efficiently, And if right? it doesn't look like that, then what do you do next? 
so many things. <laughs> you know, you want to evaluate, well, what color is it? And, you know, we obviously have a free tool that you can use on Flow Living's website to help you understand exactly what steps you should take based on the color of your bleed so that you know where you should start. But it all, the first things that you want to do always come down to diet. It is my firm belief after 25 years of taking care of women's hormones that the first line treatment for menstrual disorders must be dietary interventions. I know that's a bold statement because oftentimes we're hearing we that. It. No, well, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm yeah, in big company here. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's a bold statement when we look at what the conversation is. It's like, well, birth control or hormone replacement therapy, and I understand why that feels like an attractive option. When I was going through my hormonal issues, if somebody said to me, "Listen, hey, here's this." hormone that's going to evaporate everything that you're dealing with right now, I think I probably would have done it. And, you know, we wouldn't be here today. But that wasn't available. And it's still not available. Nothing that you take, no birth control, no hormone replacement therapy, cures whatever is happening that is out of balance, right? And I think even if you're someone who's saying, well, my gosh, I'm in my perimenopausal journey or postmenopausal journey, I'd be a wreck without my HRT, BHRT, that's fine. You, you may need those things at a certain point. It goes without saying, you don't need me to tell you that you can't get away with not modifying your diet and lifestyle, even though you're taking those medications, because you can only get so far, right? The body has to be supported in the ways that it functions. I think I'm pretty much quoted now for the form of your self-care should follow the function of your biology. Mm. Of course, I like to add period at the end of that, you know, because it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I could ask you a million more questions, but we did have a lot of questions from our community. Yeah, let's So get let's those. get into it. I think the biggest theme was around perimenopause and menopause. So the number one most asked question by our audience was, what are your tips for managing perimenopause naturally? So when we think about perimenopause, which I'm in, and every woman at 35 begins, okay, in the brain, very slow, gentle process. By the way, it's supposed to be slow and gentle. I feel like I should cue the Tina Turner song. We're going to do this nice and easy. That's what perimenopause <laughs> wants to do with you, okay? <laughs> if you take care of yourself. Otherwise, it goes the other part of the song. And so this is kind of what we want to do is understand that there are some phases to perimenopause. There's the first phase, 35 to 45 approximately, where these slow changes in the pituitary gland are so minute. We're talking about slowly, slowly raising FSH levels, right? That's the whole journey of perimenopause. What is it for? It's to raise FSH levels to a concentration where it signals to the ovary that you should no longer ovulate, right? When you get above a certain number, that's when we stop the ovulation train. And this happens very, very slowly because it would be extremely abrupt. Like everyone would just spontaneously combust into a hot steaming wet puddle of sweat. You know what I'm saying? If it just happened overnight, and luckily it doesn't do that. So this way we go very, very slowly. And in that first phase, you should still be cycling regularly without really any noticeable massive shifts. You may notice that you're a little bit more sensitive to things dietarily than you were before. For example, the first place this often starts is with alcohol. 
you start to notice, gee, you know, when I was 25, you could have three, four glasses of wine at night and the next day wasn't such a problem. At 37, you do that and it's a problem, right? And it's just about micronutrient concentration levels, the ability for the liver to recruit enough things to go through its phases of detoxification, shifts in estrogen, and sort of just the whole process becomes a little bit more arduous on the body. This is sort of a great place for you to make some critical decisions. I think phase one, perimenopause is the power decade. If you really dial in your self-care in phase one, and some of the things I'm going to suggest might sound a little extreme, but I have lived through them and I'm here to tell the tale, that it really sets you up really nicely for the second phase, 45 to 55. Whether you finish bleeding at 52 or not, this transition is also about a decade. And it's really exciting how much agency you have to slow down this hormonal aging process. So 35, something that I'm so grateful that I did that I encourage you all to really seriously consider is to stop drinking alcohol altogether. You know, I've come out and talked about caffeine and I've been caffeine free since I was 22. But I'm also here to say that removing alcohol at 35 will be such a gift for your future self. Why? Well, we know alcohol has now been really classified as a level one carcinogen. We know that it's mostly full of glyphosates and other endocrine disruptive pesticides and things that you don't want. But it also has the sugar disruptive aspect of it. And nothing ages you faster from a hormonal point of view than elevated blood glucose levels and disrupted insulin. That will disrupt your cycle. So if you would like to maintain a healthy drumbeat with your cycle for as long as possible, and I'll tell you why you would want that in a second, just getting rid of the alcohol is a really easy way to remove a lot of things all at once. You know, blood sugar disruption, endocrine disruption, and carcinogenic exposure, right? So that's a choice you want to think significantly about and how you might want to shift your social life around that. This is also sometimes really in line with what might be going on for you during this decade, which is procreation, right? If you're trying to get pregnant, if you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, if you're recovering postpartum, alcohol does not have a place in that journey whatsoever. I haven't had alcohol now for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years at this point. And it's not a big deal from a social point of view, it really isn't. And I think consider it because it, again, just pays massive dividends with a very small lifestyle change. What do you drink when you go out? This is a question I get asked often. I'm a like hardcore tea drinker. I bring tea everywhere I go. To the bar? <laughs> sure, to the bar. Or if it's at a bar and they don't have something hot and I'm not out late much these days because of my maternal duties. But what I will say is if I'm out, it'll be something like just seltzer with some lime in it, lemon in it. But I do not ever have a cocktail of any sort. If they are a cool bar and they have something like... Mocktails. You know, like a kin euphoric or something fun like that, then sure, an adaptogen drink would be great. But there's no value at all for me to deplete myself at this point. That just seems purposefully hurtful. And it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, someone on our team the other day said that in the future, you know, our kids and future generations are going to look at alcohol the same way that we look at cigarettes. 100%. Like, Can you believe they used to drink alcohol on a plane? 
It is mind-boggling to think about that, and I agree. I also think alcohol production was probably very different 100 years ago from a pesticide point of view conversation. Yeah. Okay, so get rid of alcohol in this early stage. So we're talking about 35. 35 to 45. The other thing you have to do is dedicate yourself to the cycle syncing method because nothing is going to keep your blood sugar more stable, keep your cortisol levels in check, and help you break down estrogen and protect your gut microbiome better than this method for your reproductive years. So do that practice religiously because it will protect your cyclical hormones, which is what we want. The end goal is to slow down the hormonal aging process during perimenopause, right? We want to go through this process as slowly and as symptom-free as we can. And protecting ovulation and progesterone levels is how we do that. So protecting ovulation means keeping blood sugar stable. Protecting progesterone levels means keeping the cortisol conversation in check. Because like I said earlier, if you want to produce the sex hormones like progesterone, you can't be overproducing the stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline because they steal a body's ability to make enough progesterone. And this is really challenging during this time of life because again, you may be having children, you may be going through all sorts of stressful life events, but that's what's so valuable about the cycle syncing method is it's really helping control the things you can about your internal stressors, i.e., you know, diet and fitness stressors, so that when life stressors are happening, it's not compounding and making that doubly worse. And do you also want to slow down this perimenopause process? Does it affect longevity? Is there a connection there? I think that the Studies are still being done, but what we do know is that every ovulation that you have protects your brain, your heart, and your skeleton, your bones today, but it also puts health bucks in your bank account for when you're no longer menstruating. So every ovulation is really, really important. And this also naturally brings up the conversation about birth control pills, because birth control pills really rob you of every ovulation. You don't ovulate, you don't menstruate. So that's another thing that I think is so important, 35 Even to 45. Even though you have a period when you're on birth control, well, you bleed. That's not a period. That's breakthrough bleeding. That's breakthrough bleeding that eventually stops. Because what's happening with this medication is it's stopping your own internal production of hormones and it replaces them with this very low dose. You're sort of in like a pseudo-menopausal state. You're not menstruating, you're not ovulating, your hormones are very, very low all across the board. And how does it affect you? I recently talked to a woman, she's 37, she's been on birth control since 16 and is now entering into perimenopause she tried to get off of it a couple times throughout her life and had some incidences with a ton of pain and issues with a twisted ovary. And her doctors just kept putting her back on to it for her health and safety. They felt like that was the right thing to do. But there are women that are spending their entire lives on birth control. How do you think that that affects perimenopause, menopause? And is it too late to get off ever? It's never too late to get off of that medication. You have to work with your doctor, of course. You know, there are certainly extreme cases like endometriosis, like adenomyosis, that where that medication could be temporarily helpful. But again, 
a person would still need to be modifying their diet in order to help their body deal with what is obviously an estrogen metabolism issue or micronutrient depletion issue or a gut microbiome issue. And that regardless of that medication needs to be addressed. And oftentimes when a person does that, and I've certainly seen that over the decades of working with women, they can transition off the medication successfully, whereas in the past they may not have been able to because they then invest the time into making those changes prior to going off the medication, again, with supervision from their care provider, and then it's a totally different experience. So it's never too late, but you have to do it properly. Micronutrient depletion is one of the biggest drivers of, let's say, the this lack of success of going off where a person feels like they're not doing as well without the medication. And that micronutrient depletion, of course, can be caused by taking that medication, which I don't think the side effects are properly discussed before a woman goes on birth control. For example, a lot of women don't know that they're being shortchanged of every ovulation for every month of many, many years that then puts her at more risk to having osteoporosis and dementia later on in life or heart disease. I certainly wasn't told about that at 14 when I was put on it for my cystic acne. And when you think about the situation where girls at 14 are being put on a medication that was designed for women who have finished having children. I mean, that was really what the medication was designed for 70 years ago. It's currently the largest unorganized live human experiment. You're asking great questions, like what does it mean if somebody starts at 14 for their longevity, for their fertility? No studies are being conducted. No one's looking to see what these effects are long-term. And I think that that's really important that we do look. What a recent study has come out to show that the doses of hormones that are being used in this medication far exceed what is necessary. Mm. That's interesting. I thought that was very, very interesting because what it means is something I've been saying for a long time is, gee, you know, we only ovulate and the egg is only viable for 48 hours. What are the 28 days of hormone Yeah, like for? why are we taking out the whole month if we just need to worry about this 48-hour window of fertility and then the five days around it where sperm can live in the body? Well, it's because people don't know when they're ovulating because they're not mapping their cycle. Again, the tool, we go back to the tool. But we have some tools, right? We do right. have trackers. We do have wearable things. You can know when you're ovulating now and then you can use barrier methods. So if it's really just about preventing pregnancy, I would highly reconsider using a tracker, tracking ovulation, and using barrier methods during that few days out of the month where you have to be concerned. If it's because you have issues like acne or PCOS or other things, then come see us at Flow Living and we'll, we'll sort you out. But I mean, the whole point is that you yeah, don't PCOS have to... Yeah, PCOS was a question that we got asked about. What can be done there if you're diagnosed with PCOS? First and foremost, PCOS really has so much to do with metabolic pathways and insulin sensitivity, supporting your body's circadian rhythm, supporting your body's glucose patterns, supporting the gut microbiome. All of these things really give you an ability to get your cycle to restore itself. And I'm certainly someone who's lived through that experience my own journey with PCOS was what got me started on this in the first place. And it is totally possible for you to regain your cycle without medication intervention. In fact, medication intervention doesn't help have you restore your cycle at all now that we've established that the pill does not <laughs> allow you to have a cycle, right? So 
I think that's the best news that I can give. And that even if there are things like metformin that can help, let's say, with blood sugar management, that you can achieve that dietarily as well. The sooner you start that process, the better, because these things are so habitual, you know, taking care of your blood sugar, taking care of your diet. The more you do that when you're young, the more that is just part of the DNA of who you are and how you live. And so I think it's a gift to have to do this when you're younger because it sets you up for a lot of hormonal support when you're older. And I do want to circle back to the perimenopause conversation for those who are in the second phase as I am now. And the second phase does not mean hormonal disruption. So I'm still having my normal cycle. You can be cycling pretty normally into your early 50s. I mean, this is what's supposed to happen, right? Think about, again, why the pill was introduced a long time ago, because women were on their eighth baby at like 48. You know what I'm saying? So you are supposed to have a healthy, viable cycle for as long as possible because it's very health beneficial. And I believe Dr. Lisa Moscone does have some interesting research about the timing of when you go through menopause and the impact on the brain from a dementia perspective. And so we know that ovulation and estrogen have a neuroprotective effect. So we do want to protect our cycle for as long as possible, as long as that makes sense. But it's adding a couple of other things, little tweaks. So really managing your glucose intake at night. I would say if you're having any night sweats, any hot flashes. We know that that is, in a way, almost like metabolic overload. Too much glucose exposure later in the day increases your chances or likelihood of having night sweats and hot flashes. So have your carbs in the morning, have them at the main lunchtime meal. Don't have them at night. Again, alcohol completely out of the picture by now, in my humble opinion. Not worth it. Not worth it for all of the negative impacts that it will have on symptom severity around perimenopause. Caffeine also has to be something that you really think through because caffeine, even mid-morning, can disrupt your sleep pattern later in the evening. And insomnia becomes a bigger problem for women as progesterone levels naturally decline, which is the other thing that takes place in this phase. So in order to protect progesterone, we have to really manage our stress. And one of the coolest ways that we can do that, because you know, you're like, well, I have so much stress, how am I going to do that? And that makes you more stressed out. I get it. The best, the coolest way we have to do that actually is heavy, heavy strength training, which seems like this non sequitur. But as you get older and as ovulation starts to skip a beat, as you go through this second phase of perimenopause, and we're not having those ovulatory moments to put that beneficial support to the skeletal mass. And as our endocrine hormones start to make fewer concentrations of estrogen and progesterone, we can start to build a new endocrine muscle, if you will, which is your muscle. And so you want to build as much lean muscle as possible. This does things like putting good strain on your skeletal system, which protects your bones. This protects your metabolism from this midlife sort of weight gain that women attribute to menopause. It really has to do with the fact that we have this 
misunderstanding about how to use cardio in our cycles and we do too much of it over our reproductive years and then we keep doing it in our menopausal perimenopausal years and that triggers a hormonal response that adds to the fat storage conversation so strength training and i'm talking about like you're going to a gym and you're using one of those machines to like squat with a big barbell with heavy weights on it. And your goal is to see if you can squat press 100 pounds. You know, maybe give yourself a year to get to that point. But you're working on significant strength training routines and that you would continue that postmenopausally. So you're starting to introduce the lifestyle habits that will then become your norm postmenopausally. Once your cycle starts to skip month here, month there, and you've already done the other couple things that I just talked about. So you've been cycle syncing, you've kind of reduced caffeine exposure, you've eliminated alcohol exposure, and you've changed your dinnertime meal plan to exclude heavy carbohydrate exposure and your strength training. Once the cycle starts skipping, then you can start bringing in a little bit of intermittent fasting, just a little bit more. And then when you are done menstruating altogether and you're postmenopausal, then you want to be full on intermittent fasting and strength training because we have studies that show that have actually looked at women postmenopausally that this lifestyle in combination gives us the most health benefits for disease prevention and longevity. I've been really getting into the science behind metabolism and which ingredients in our metabolism powder do exactly what for our metabolism. So just to set the stage, our metabolism powder has three key ingredients that do three key things. So one, fucosanthin is an algae-based ingredient. Essentially, it transforms your fat composition to something that is more metabolically active. So you're actually burning more energy with brown fat than you would white fat. Second, it has gymnema sylvester, which is an Ayurvedic herb that really helps curb sugar cravings by actually helping to balance your blood sugar throughout the day. And third, it has an ingredient called horsetail. This is a really special herb that helps pull unnecessary bloat from your cells, unnecessary water from your tissues while keeping your electrolyte balance. And I think what is amazing about how we designed the metabolism powder is that these are whole food ingredients. When it comes to like these whole food ingredients, they're gentle yet effective. You can find more details on sakara.com and enjoy 20% off your first 30-day pouch of our Metabolism Super Powder with the code POD. That's sakara.com and promo code P-O-D at checkout. What about ice baths for women? You know, I... I think it's really a personal choice to do them. I think that you want to you want to think about when in the cycle you're doing them. I mean, in my mind, the only time to really do them would be during ovulation because you're from a traditional Chinese medicine point of view, that's when you're the hottest. I can't imagine any woman has thought to herself, gee, let me go do a cold plunge with this tampon or menstrual cup in. Like that just feels really off and off alignment. So 
go with your flow with that. Don't feel this pressure from the biohacking community, which is really skewed heavily male. Yeah. yeah. And we're listening to them as women because we lack access to information that is gender specific. And we think, you know, this could be something that would help me. But they're describing it in a way that's researched on what is useful to the male hormonal pattern, which is circadian based, it's 24 hour based. So yes, you know, if you're a guy and you want to cold plunge every day, go for it. But for women, I think we should yeah, be Yeah, maybe encouraged. in the morning when their testosterone is high, you know? Yeah. I think right. it's all good. And one other question that I had. So we had this amazing woman on Dr. Wednesday, Martin, and she and I had a beautiful conversation. It was much more, actually, my husband came on as well. And it was a lot about sexual repression for the female gender over time. And she was a, an anthropologist. And so she had all these amazing stories about primates and how when you actually watch them, it's actually the female desire that then starts the male desire. And like, we've just been mistaught in this kind of homo sapien culture of, you know, that it's the men that really want sex and women just kind of like go with it. And sometimes you feel very sexual, sometimes you don't. But anyway, she... And I kind of got into it a little bit because I started talking about all the things you're talking about, about birth control and, you know, that it was put on me at 14. I didn't have anything wrong. I just said, oh, I got my cycle. And they were like, oh, here. It was like candy, you know. I didn't have PMS. I didn't have cramps. I didn't have anything. It was like I just started my period. Here you go. And she started talking about how what a critical kind of pivotal thing birth control was for women to get out of the house to not just end up pregnant that it gave women this tool yes. to really own their fertility so i do just want to recognize that in honor of her but also i know you talk about cycle thinking and understanding ovulation are there other tools that you really believe in to help make sure you do get to family plan, like another form of birth control that's not hormonal? Yeah. If you're trying to navigate this without birth control, and I agree that it was a historic opportunity for women to be liberated from their reproductive burden, I want to clarify that what I'm saying is that all technology updates. You know, we no longer watch movies on DVDs, right? So we're streaming things now. And I'm asking for the same kind of technological update here. We know yeah. more and we should have something that's more precise. So in the meantime, one, you should be using some sort of tracking device. There's the Aura Ring, which doesn't track BBT, but it does track a different form of temperature in the body. So they sort of reverse calculate from there. But then there's a product like Daisy, which does precisely track BBT. You know, you just stick the thermometer in your mouth before you get out of bed in the morning, and then it continuously monitors your pattern changes so that you can know within three cycles exactly what your pattern is. And you can be very confident that that is something that you can rely on from a basal body temperature point of view. And then there's products like Prove, which is a urinalysis stick that you just pee on and then it tells you kind of what your hormonal pattern is for the day and that'll help you understand ovulation and luteal phase which is really important as well especially if you are trying to conceive luteal phase is critical having adequate progesterone to maintain that early pregnancy is so so critical and, and they're one of the few that do that so that's sort of part one and then part two is the barrier method 
that is effective, right? So women have been fear-mongered into thinking barrier methods don't work and they're not as effective. And so I always say, we're fighting so many things in terms of debunking so much of our conditioning around feeling concerned and fearful of our bodies. So let's just take this one off the table. Use a barrier method, but also get a prescription for this wonderful new, I think it's a watershed kind of product, frankly, and I think it should get a lot more attention. It's called Fexi, P-H-E-X-X-I. It's by prescription, although I'm assuming at some point this will be over the counter because it's simply a lactic acid gel insert that you insert vaginally before sex, and it's not a spermicide. It just immobilizes the sperm from moving, which is wonderful and it can hang out in your body. Lactic acid, you've used it on your face for face washes P50. and masks. You know, <laughs> it's so gentle. It doesn't create any issues where spermicide can be problematic for vaginal tissue. This is developed by a woman and I think a really profound step forward in terms of something that we can have access to. So right now, the old tech for family planning is birth control. The newer tech is you're using a tra uh, some sort of tracking for your ovulation and then you're precisely using Barrier Plus Fexi during the five to seven days out of the month where if you have a male partner, you have to worry about it, right? And that's it. What are your thoughts on neem oil? Have you tried that? I haven't tried that. There are some studies to show some things that have some, it has some efficacy, but I think that's like an advanced practitioner person who is going to be thinking about neem oil and using <laughs> wild carrot seed. And I think the everyday woman would be much more served by using some more things that yeah. seem familiar. No, you're right. I told Dr. Martin about neem oil and she basically just like, dismissed me and laughed it off. Like, <laughs> She was comparing it to birth control. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get that. I get how we're having this conversation. <laughs> hormonal replacement and birth control. And I'm throwing a neem oil into the conversation. <laughs> I want to add one more thing to the perimenopause conversation because there's, because of the biohacking conversation, I've seen some heavy conversations about melatonin oh, yeah. out mm -hmm. there and how melatonin is, should be avoided. It's been like this whole, I don't know, vilification of melatonin. And I've seen all the male biohackers talk about it. And here's the interesting thing. There are countless studies that show melatonin's importance in ovarian health and ovarian aging. So another key component of supporting yourself, especially through the second stage of perimenopause, 45 and up, is using low-dose melatonin. Yeah, when, when should a woman start using it? I think you want to use Vitex starting at 35 to support sort of the FSH, LH, progesterone conversation so long as you're not pregnant and breastfeeding. And then 45 and up, you would be using some low-dose melatonin to help your ovaries continue to do what they're supposed to do. And this is interesting because there's another company who just closed a, yet another series of funding. They're a biotech company, and they are looking at the melatonin pathways inside PCOS to develop a melatonin product, a melatonin derivative to potentially cure or massively improve the PCOS challenge in the body. And so melatonin and women you know, is a different conversation than melatonin and men. And yet it's being had as if it's ubiquitous. And this is the same problem that we've had all along. And so I just want to say, if you've been freaked out by the recent articles about melatonin, please just start Googling melatonin, ovarian aging, go find some studies and 
keep taking it. This is just such a good message too around to be careful of all of the messaging out there. There's a lot of loud voices shouting, you know, very confident opinions around what should be done and for biohacking and for longevity. And like you said, it's mainly male voices speaking to men, even though they have female listeners. So to take what is said with a grain of salt, think yeah, about and it, I, I do your research. I don't think it's malicious at all. I, I really don't. But I think, you know, this is this it's just, just not that inclusive. blind. It's a blind yeah. spot. And I think the burden is still on us as women to really recognize that that is the case, like you're saying, and just take it with a grain of salt. Do our own research, look into it before just hopping on a bandwagon. Alisa, do you have a light work practice for our Sakara Light listeners? Absolutely. I'm sure you might be feeling a little overwhelmed. Talking about hormones, I think, is can be triggering because it feels overwhelming and we don't get enough education about it. So I just want you to take a deep breath now and just start tracking your cycle. The MyFlow app that I created is the only cycle syncing app. It's free to download. It's compatible with all your other apps and things, but it's going to really give you the information that you need at your fingertips in real time throughout your cycle. What are my hormones doing today? What does this symptom mean? What should I do? So that you don't have to become a subject matter expert. I think that is unfair. So I have built this tool to just make you taking care of your hormones a little bit easier. You can go to flowliving.com and download that, or you can go to the Apple Store or the Android Store and download MyFlow. It has the circle icon on it, not any other icon. Great. Well, I mean, we have other questions, but I feel like we got to so many of them. Thank you so much for your time and knowledge and for being such a voice for female health. My pleasure. Always fun to chat with you, ladies. Yeah, this is a powerful episode. I'm excited for everybody to listen to it and to gain this knowledge and wisdom that you've shared with us today. Thanks so much, Elisa. Thank you. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Sakara, And so we wanted to share a bit about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experience through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition, which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program, head to sakara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A 
www.transformationbook.com. And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation. So use the code podcast 20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Sakara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom, I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world.